Gospel Shaped Home podcast is a family discipleship resource from Providence Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, that aims to equip you and your family to be on mission with God to the ends of the street and the ends of the earth. All right, welcome back to another episode of Gospel Shaped Home. I'm Andy Owens, and today I am joined uh, by a new guest, uh, a new friend, Joseph back home. Joseph, welcome. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Yeah, glad to have you. So Joseph uh, and his family are at Providence. Uh, We're recording this in April 2022. You guys have been here for close to a year. Is that right? We've been in Raleigh about a year. We've been at Providence about six months. Okay. Welcome. Glad you guys are here. Um, Tell us just a little bit about yourself before we dive in today. Um, uh, What you you know, tell us about your family. Tell us what you do for work. And that will kind of lead into what we're going to talk about. Yeah, well, I am... uh, I'm blessed to be married to Brooke, who I met when I was nine years old, and it's only been up since then. Mm. And uh, we have four kids, Savannah, Kendall, Brenna, and Jackson, who are 17, 15, 13, and 11. And uh, they are all part of the Trinity Academy community. And that's really why we are in Raleigh. And professionally, I my the title that I use most often is Senior Fellow for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council in Washington, D.C. So I'm back and forth between here and there and uh, other parts around the country trying to help people. What would you say uh, some of your main responsibilities are as a senior fellow for Biblical Worldview? Uh, What do you do? Well, I have worked for most of the last 20 years in the political space. I'm a lawyer by training and I I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, it's true. (laughs) I'm a lawyer by training and and I was a staff attorney in the legislature. I didn't get that opinion. It's okay. Well, you know, it's not something you, you know, you, you (laughs) advertise all the time if you don't have to. Right. Um, but, uh, I worked in, I've worked in the political environment for uh, most of the last 20 years. And now I get to talk about the issues that we're wrestling with in public policy, in the public space, but really get to emphasize, um, for the church, how to think about this in a biblical way, how to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. All of these ideas are out there, really put them in a Genesis three kind of context. Did God really say, understand this Mm -hmm. conflict between truth and lies that has been happening since then, beginning, since the beginning. And so it's not new, but how do we as Christians navigate it in the world we live in? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so, uh, and you guys like to sing, right? We do, yeah. Yeah, we you're like a musical sing. family. Um, we are. We were. We recently found that out as a family, and we're blessed uh, by your musical abilities. So, well, yeah. likewise. Well, thank you. Praise the Lord. Um, okay. Well, again, thank you for being here. So, what we're going to do is have a series of conversations um, uh, related to worldview, in particular, some of the, um, you know, some of the challenges that parents face as it relates to, you know understanding God's good design for sexuality. And as we you know, talk about all the confusion in the world, um, when it comes to worldview of, of identity and sexuality and things like that, and we'll probably branch out, um, to, on some of our topics. So, but that is a brief note to you as a parent that if you're listening with kids in tow, you just want to be sensitive. You may want to hit pause and, you know, come back to this, but I can tell you the first episode, you, there won't be any issues. So, uh, yeah. this episode, so, um, we're going to start at a place that may seem like a little bit of a surprising place to start a conversation about, you know, God's good design for sexuality by a- answering the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, right. That's, uh, that's kind of the starting block, um, for our, for this, uh, the series of conversations. So Joseph, why are we starting there? Well, I think it's important to start there because so much of the 
the conflict that the church is having with the culture around issues of sexuality and gender and identity and all of these issues, uh, the reason why it's a hard conversation for us is because we are very aware that the gospel's position on this is different than the culture's position. We are out of step. We are out of step. Correct. We are not synchronized. However you want to say that is what God says about a number of issues is different than what the culture now says about those issues. And I think the reason that's challenging for American Christians in particular, maybe Western culture, uh, Western Christians, but I think American Christians is for a long time, we have had the belief that being a Christian makes you one of the good guys, that we're nice, we're contributors, we're generous, uh, we're honest to our neighbors, right? And because we live like Jesus, that means people are going to like us. And for a long time in America, relatively speaking, in in terms of our lives, it's a short period historically, but for a long time in our lives, it was easy to be both a Christian and an American. Even if you weren't, even for our friends and neighbors who weren't Christians, they kind of liked the Christians because they were honest and they could trust their kids at their house for the most part. And, you know, and we could, we could, we could move in and out of those circles uh, without much pain. It was culturally acceptable. Culturally acceptable. That's exactly right. And that is changing now. And so we are finding ourselves in a position where being the Christian meant you were the good guy. Now it feels like being the Christian in many contexts makes you the bad guy. And that feels like our expectations are not being met because we still feel like being the Christian, we're supposed to be the good guy. Okay. So why, uh, even backing up further beyond, you know, uh, the American experience, let's just go back to the foundational question, what it means to be a Christian. Why are Christians out of step with the world? out of step with their culture. Yeah. What would you say? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, I, it, it means ultimately surrendering everything to the Lordship of Jesus, right? When, when, and I think what the message that we're bringing is so offensive, that is so offensive to the culture is that you can't bring your idols to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus on his terms, his, his terms of surrender, his terms of peace are that you lay down your idols and you live for me. Yeah. And increasingly we have cultural idols that people don't want to give up. And there are versions of the gospel now that are coming, that are being presented that, that pretend to suggest you don't have to give up your idols. You can keep all those things that you like and still come to Jesus. Cause really the thing Jesus most wants for you is to be happy. And that version of the gospel to is, be happy in the way you think you will be happy <laughs> yes. uh, without being yeah. transformed, changed Correct. Yeah. It is, is just to come to Jesus, bring all your, stuff with you and then everything's going to be fine. And, and so the surrender, the sacrifice of my own will of thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not my will be done. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me, which means I have to deny my flesh. I recognize that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Therefore I can't do everything that my heart desires because my mind has been transformed enough to realize that sometimes my heart desires things that are bad for me, that pull me away from God's will for my life. And so it is a totally different way of evaluating whether something is good or bad, whether something is helpful or harmful. And 
Jesus is not offering a compromise. He's saying this is the truth and the, and the good news. And this is, this is hard news, but it's also good news because it also happens to be that God is correct, that he actually does know the key to human flourishing and that the cultural's messages do not actually lead to joy and contentment and human flourishing. Right. And so the good news in all of this is God is correct. When we deny ourselves and, and take up his cross, that's what leads to real joy, real peace. But it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah, no, that's great. It's in a sense, uh, it's a uh, acknowledgement that, you know, God is, uh, he's calling us to surrender, but but that it's an ag- agreement with, um, you know, both his authority, but also a recognition of his wisdom and his goodness uh, that we're bowing to. And that, absolutely. you know, when you were talking about uh, uh, this idea of coming to him on his terms, I was thinking about Matthew's gospel and you know, when John the Baptist shows up, uh, his message is the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent, right? Mm-hmm. And Jesus shows up and the message is the same. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent. And, um, uh, you know, in Matthew chapter 16, where Peter recognizes Jesus's identity, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And um, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, right. for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven you know, right after that, he, um, you know, he the recognition Jesus is King. Then Jesus says, "Hey, uh, I'm about to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be killed, and on the third day rise." And Peter's like, "No, no, no." He he takes him aside and tries to rebuke the one he just said right. is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. You're the King, yeah. but no, no, you can't do this. This can't happen to you. And you know, that's when Jesus said, yeah. "Get behind me, Satan. Uh, you're setting your mind on the things of man, not the things of God." Right? right? This is God's blueprint, God's plan. But the the very next passage is where he says for us to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, right. to follow him. And you said it's good news because God's right. And the the thing that's, that I was thinking as you were saying that is from that passage, he says, the one who wants to save his life will lose right. it, right? So we if we think I can preserve this, I can hold on to my vision of a happy life in this world, we're actually going to lose it. Mm -hmm. Then he says, but whoever loses it, and he doesn't say who wants to lose it, just whoever loses it (laughs) for my sake will, and he doesn't say keep it, save it, preserve it, will find it. And it was so striking to me when I just a couple of weeks ago thinking through this, we gain something that we didn't have before when we lose our lives by bowing the knee to Christ, right? It's, you know, this is not different than believe in Christ and you will be saved. This is what belief in Christ is. It is a turning away from all the other ways we used to live, turning to him as Lord and the only one who can rescue us from our plight and saying, Lord, I don't have any other life than you. And and so we find real life, real joy in him. And practically, I think in the conversation we're about to have when this is leading to, we come to understand not just what his design is, but the goodness of it, the rightness of it, and how it does lead to human flourishing. And I want to underscore that point because I, you know, we talk about, and I know we're going to get there on the parenting component and dealing with young people. I think the challenge that young people growing up in the church today have is not necessarily believing that God is real, Mm -hmm. but it's believing that God is good. 
Mm. That's why I think so many in the, in the term being used today is deconstructing. Sure. Is because it's such a different vision for what is good for people that Jesus presents than what the culture presents. Yeah. It's just like, if you want to love somebody, you just affirm everything they want to do. If, you, if you're going to not be discriminatory, you just celebrate everybody's decisions because only they can possibly know what's going to make them happy. And why on earth would you want to interfere with another person's happiness? How cruel is that? Well, because there's an assumption that everyone gets to be supreme in their own lives, their own thinking. Whereas God is saying, I'm supreme and that's reality. He is. And we, we live in opposition to reality in delusion when we try to be Kings and Queens of our lives. But when we bow to the one true King, we actually find life. But the culture's vision and version of love has been catechized so thoroughly, largely in media, sometimes in a school curriculum, young people have really embraced this idea that love is taught. Love equals tolerance. Tolerance equals love. Judgment equals hate. Hate equals judgment. So thinking critically about anything somebody else does is highly offensive. And we know that the gospel calls us to call certain things sin. And so we come back to the the conflict that so many young people are having is believing that what the gospel says, you can't do whatever you want, do what Jesus wants. That's how you lead to happiness. Yeah. That feels hateful, It feels discriminatory. It feels intolerant. It feels bigoted. And young people don't have the worldview, the understanding of the gospel to be able to explain to themselves, much less somebody else, why when Jesus says, no, you can't do that, that's actually good news. That's a challenge that young people have. And it's young people have that challenge in large part because their parents grew up in a different world and never figured out how to explain that to their kids. Yeah. So, and, and really there's probably in every age there, you know, every age has its unique challenges, but there's some things that are just because they arise out of fallen human hearts, they are the same in every age. And so we've, you know, there's watered down versions of the gospel um, that people, you know, the church has been battling against right. for forever in a sense. And so, you know, but, but specifically this idea of self-fulfillment, happiness on our terms, uh, Jesus will give you a better life um, if you trust him. Everything will, you know, start mm-hmm. to go. I remember like being a young person wrestling with the gospel and and thinking like some version of like, okay, if I trust Jesus, things should kind of go well like for me, and like my life should probably be easier and and more, you know, just fulfilled and satisfied mm-hmm. and right. and stuff. And so. In some way, uh, that's obviously very wrong. In some way, it's very right, but... Uh, Sowing and uh, reaping is a real <laughs> biblical principle, right? Yes. Um, so you, you made a comment before we started recording that we sometimes haven't adjusted to the reality that we are out of step with our culture, increasingly yeah. out of step with our culture. How do we... Yeah. How, how d- does this conversation about what it means to be a Christian, to bow the knee to Jesus as King, um, to trust Him and Him alone... Um, how, how does that get us to this, this question of parenting kids and this yeah. culture and, um, managing expectations, you know, because yeah. I, you know, I, sometimes I set this up when we talk about marriage, for those of us who are married, married, when you go through merit, premarital counseling, sometimes they'll give you these lists of expectations. Like how do you do your laundry? How do you do holidays? How do you budget all of these things? Because based on the way we grow up, we just do things a certain way. And often we have no awareness that there's another way to do it because we'd never considered doing it any other way. And sometimes those unspoken expectations can lead to problems in relationships. Right. And sometimes 
sometimes lead relationships to fail because you end up getting up, you, you make a bargain you didn't realize you were making and it causes problems with the church, with our relationship with Jesus. Sometimes in, in, you know, the prosperity gospel has gotten a bad rap for very good reason, because sometimes the gospel message that we, that we make the appeal that we make for why you should join the church, why you should follow Jesus was that if you follow Jesus, everything in your life is going to get better. Yeah. In, in a, in a temporary, in a temporary natural sense. Yeah. And, and that can lead to unspoken expectations rather than come to Jesus because you really are broken. He really is good. He really is worthy. And he's going to, in an eternal sense, solve all your problems. It might not get better now. You might get cancer tomorrow and you might die in three weeks, but Jesus is still good. And Jesus is still worth it. Jesus would say, uh, you know, some of you, they will kill with a sword. And then he'll say, not a hair of your head will perish, right? It, 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 that's exactly right. Yeah. And and so in terms of managing expectations for our kids, for ourselves, what does it mean to be a Christian in the 21st century in America? Yeah. When we become Christians, whether we were aware of it or not, we took sides in a war and a war that started in Genesis chapter three. The yeah. downside of that is there's real conflict. There are real enemies. The upside of that is there are real allies and there is the best ally of all, right? If he is for us, who can be against us? Yes. But that's the reality. And it's also true that sowing and reaping happens, that when we submit our lives to Jesus, he does bless us. And oftentimes in a material sense, but in better than that, he blesses us in a spiritual sense. That's one part of the gospel. So it's true that obedience to Jesus does make life on earth easier. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it perfect. It doesn't mean we're not going to die of something tragic or someone we love isn't going to die of something tragic. It means he solved the biggest problems eternally and permanently. But it also means, it also means that we have taken sides in a war because God has real enemies and anybody who's on God's team is his enemy. And we need to not be surprised because we are in that war when we face opposition. And that's what's happening culturally in so many ways, just like the serpent came down to Eve and asked that, that, you know, that question, did God really say that's what the culture has been doing ever since trying to take everything God said is good and said, actually, that's bad. And let me tell you why. And the advocates of that position have, they are in a, in a spiritual sense, they're enemies of God. Therefore they are our enemies. Now we don't, see them as enemies. We see them as captives of the enemy, which is why we love people even when they don't agree with us. But we have to understand in a spiritual sense what is happening. So when we face somebody who is aggressively, uh, passionately, angrily opposed to us and what we believe, Jesus promised us that that was going to happen. They will hate you because of me, he said, for my name's sake. And so none of that should be surprised. We should be, we should expect it. So we shouldn't be surprised when it happens and we should be joyful in spite of it. And we should not be derailed from it. And I think one of the challenges that we're facing is that Christians didn't necessarily come with that expectation. We aren't discipling our kids with that expectation. So when we face that opposition, it's unsettling. And that's one of the things we have to get in front of. Yeah, we we got we have to help them see when we face hostility from the world. Like, in some sense, it should be a reminder and an assurance to us that we belong to a kingdom that's not of this world, right? Yeah. And to not think it's something strange happening to us, yeah. but it's because we belong to a right. suffering Savior who is out of step with the world, yeah. who, who came as the King of Heaven, and we as ambassadors of a kingdom that's not of this world are 
you know, we're going to be hated yeah. by all for his name's sake. Or they yeah. don't know him. They don't know the father. That's why they, uh, they don't recognize yeah. us. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Yeah. When Christ who is our life appears, we will appear with him in glory. So just yeah. to recognize yeah. we, uh, in a sense, um, you know, I love the fact expectations. We should come in knowing, um, that we're in a sense signing up for, um, for a battle, but we're signing up for the winning we, team. Yeah, we already were. We're signing exactly up for right. the, the, and, yeah. and, and woe to you, more words of Jesus, woe to you when all men think well of you, when all men think well of you, woe to you when mm. everyone likes you, for so they did the false prophets who were before you. Wow. So Jesus was reminding his disciples that the people that everybody liked were the, were the false prophets who told everybody exactly what they wanted, wanted to, hear. to hear. And if yeah. you are that person, woe to you. But blessed are you when people persecute you and say exactly. all sorts of evil about exactly. you because of, for my name's sake in Matthew five. And so, and then I'm glad you, you already kind of referenced, I was going to you know try to wrap this conversation up with uh, a reference to Ephesians chapter six and spiritual warfare. And that, you know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, we, we recognize that there is a spiritual enemy and that he, is always seeking to do harm to God's people, to right. impugn and malign God's character and God's glory, uh, and that he does, in a sense, hold captive the whole world. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we were formerly walking according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the power of the air, right? According to Satan's will before we were rescued and made alive together with Christ. And and so he does, Satan does use people, but the I think the right uh, recognition is, though they appear to be our enemies, they are captives of our true enemy. That's right. And there's a sense which my responsibility, um, we want to speak the truth with gentleness and patience, hoping that God may grant them repentance, but but ultimately it's to pray for them and to love them. And so to, you know, I think the Gettys sing a song, you know, where we, we, uh, we love the captive souls and rage against the captor, mm-hmm. um, you know, against the powers of hell by mm-hmm. living lives of love and holiness and humility and speaking the truth. Um, so it, one of the th- song that I thought of since we mentioned music here at the beginning, Matt Papa has a song on his album, this changes everything called stay away from Jesus. And he says, if you want a comfy, comfy life or happy yeah. life, stay away yeah. from Jesus, right? If, if 10% is enough, stay away from Jesus. So it's right. a, you know, it's an, uh, there's some verbal irony. Like he's obviously yes. calling people to the biblical Jesus, right. but recognizing w- what it means, um, and it is a surrender of our whole lives to him. And it's one of my favorite songs. So if you haven't, haven't heard, heard it before, it. I haven't heard Matt Papa, stay away from Jesus. It's great. Any final words on this topic before we wrap this one up, Joseph? I, I think you're summarizing it well. It's the cost of discipleship. And we have to understand there is a great reward. And, and remember, right, the, it, it is what we get. The imperishable is so much better than the perishable that we do give up. But there is a cost of discipleship. We need to live in constant awareness of that. Our kids need to be raised in constant awareness of that. They need to know that that cost of discipleship is actually a blessing, but it's real. It can be hard physically and emotionally, but it's worth it because he's worth it. Amen. Amen. And going back to that, you know, Matthew 16 line uh, that we, 
If we try to hold on to it, we're going to lose it. Yeah. But if we give it up for his sake, we gain yeah. life indeed. Yeah. And so we'll close with yeah. the... Oh. Yeah. And, and, and one other thing yeah. I'll say on, on this is that the, the con- we are actually called to the conflict because we are called to cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's not a passive activity. Galatians 5, uh, Galatians 5.13, we... Um, I'm going to, it's, it's going to come to me casting down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Mm. And, and we have no part that that's what it was in Galatians 513 have no part with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Right? So it's, we don't just sit around and look at things and say, Oh, that's too bad. That's not what the gospel does. Yeah. Um, and, and it affirmatively opposes evil when we see it as part of that conflict, because it's, it's a mercy ministry. It's an act of love that yeah. the church has a great legacy in the first century church, uh, up until now of seeing things that are evil and wrong and saying, we can't do that anymore. And, and yeah, out of mercy, out of a heart of compassion, right? Cause in the uh, Ephesians five where you just quoted about take no part in the fruitful works of darkness. In verse eight, he says for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And so seeing like we, we were the captives, we were the darkness, we've been rescued. Now we expose those unfruitful works of darkness. Right to set captives free, to proclaim this kingdom of light and love, to invite others into it. And, and, um, and so, you know, I, I, oh yeah, the Jim Elliott quote, man, I love this. You know, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We, when we call our kids to this sort of a, uh, a, a bowing the knee to Christ and this sort of faith in Christ, we're calling them to actually, the, the cost that we have to pay, there is a real cost, like you were saying, but that cost is something that we are going to lose one way or the other. And the question is, will we joyfully lose it to gain something infinitely better that will last forever, or will we lose our lives forever by refusing Christ, his proper place as King and Lord and our only Redeemer? So, amen. Amen. This has been great, and I'm excited about the next conversation. So uh, to you, our listeners, thank you for joining Hope it's been a blessing and encouragement to you, Joseph. Grateful for you, man. Thank you, brother. All right. Catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Shaped Home Podcast produced by Providence Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and resources from Providence, visit us online at pray.org. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts.